Good morning, family, and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. It is a good day to give God praise. So let's all stand in worship. What a friend we have in Jesus.
continue to enter into his presence as we pray together. Jesus, we come before you with thanksgiving as we celebrate Palm Sunday. It's the day we commemorate your entry into Jerusalem, fulfilling yet another prophecy. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. You knew the anguish awaiting you, and you still proceeded, so that your Father's will would be fulfilled. When we are hurting, struggling, or are overwhelmed, Father, I pray we can embrace the scene of Palm Sunday in all of its significance in order to fuel a hope in us that will drive us on day after day in peace-filled pursuit of your purpose for our lives. Let us join the throngs that cried out, Hosanna in the highest. We pray that you guide us our every move and let your Holy Spirit comfort us in times of need. Let your love infuse our souls and give us peace as we meditate on your word. Let the peace of Christ's Palm Sunday entrance remain in our memories. When we are fearful and anxious, help us to recall the peace in which Jesus rode into the city so soon after to be crucified. Help us to act in grace and peace in the face of fear, both known and unknown, knowing that you are incredibly close. Lamb of God, we worship you and we proclaim the power in your name. We thank you and we glorify you as we acknowledge your deity on this special day of Palm Sunday. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are the Prince of Peace. We adore you. Your love has set us free. Let the gospel of your grace settle in our hearts as we look up to you for all our needs. You entered Jerusalem with a cheerful heart, knowing what was ahead of you for our sake. On this Palm Sunday, we celebrate your love, your humility, and your selflessness. We magnify your name. Let our hearts meditate on your sacrifice on the cross to set us free and the promise of your second coming to take us to your Father. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Well, good morning, La Jolla Community Church. You may be seated. My name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the director of youth ministries here at La Jolla Community Church. And while I mess with this, I want to welcome everybody here to our wonderful little church service this Sunday. As some of you may have noticed, it is Palm Sunday, which is why I'm messing around with this here on stage. 
Some of you, actually all of you, should have gotten one of these fun little palm fronds on your way in. Uh, After the church service, instead of conversations, we're all going to go outside for a wonderful little brunch. So please take these little guys with you. If you figure it out during the church service, come show me how well you did. If you don't figure it out during the church service, that's okay. Come outside, find me, one of the students, or somebody on my team. We would love to show one of the big kids how to do one of these things. So please grab one of these if you didn't get one on your way in. They're super, super fun. Makes a fun little cross, little little thing you can hang up in your house uh, until Easter Sunday. So hope everybody got one on their way in. They're super fun to do. The other thing you should have gotten on your way in is one of these fancy new little bulletins that Josh designed for us. And some of you may not even notice, but right in the middle, oop, I'm failing this week, right in the middle of that bad boy, uh, there is a perforation in the middle and that will tear right in half. Our hope and our prayers that you take this top half home, especially because of some of the wonderful events that we've got because of Holy Week. We pray that everybody invites somebody to church this week, whether it's Good Friday because you've got nothing better to do on a Friday night or Sunday for Easter, you want to invite a family member, a neighbor, a friend, somebody who hasn't been to church in a little while. Please take this card home, invite somebody to church, let them know that we are part of a community that just wants to love on our neighbors, love on the people around us. It's got a fancy little QR code, gives you some more information. So please take this top half home. I don't want to see any of them on the ground or in the seat backs. Take it home, put it in the bottom of the trash can so that I won't see it. Something so that I don't get sad. Um, But invite somebody to church, please. This bottom half is for everybody in here. This first side says get connected with us. This is how we at La Jolla Community Church get you plugged in and involved in some of the wonderful ministries that we've got going on here at LJCC. Whether it is our Easter block party, our Easter events, our young adults group, whatever you would like to get involved in, we would love to get you plugged in. So please take a moment, fill out this connect card, let us know how we can get you engaged here at church. And on the back side it says let us pray for you. We at La Jolla Community Church believe in the power of prayer. We believe in covering our family in the love and the grace that is given to us by Jesus Christ. So if you've got something difficult going on in your life, you maybe need a little extra support, extra encouragement, please take a moment to fill out this prayer card. Or maybe you had something wonderful happen this week. One of my favorite moments is when we get down to those prayer requests that just praise God for the wonderful things that are going on in our lives. So if you've got something amazing that's happened to you this week or this month, please take a moment, fill out this prayer card, let us know how we can praise God or pray God, uh, pray for you. Um, And then this card, along with the offering envelope, which should be in the seat back directly in front of you, can be dropped off in the box mounted on the wall here in the sanctuary as well as in the Welcome Center. But again, thank you so much for joining us, and I would love to have Pastor Steve come up and lead us in a message. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan. I am so impressed with that Jedi mind move, that ninja thing he did while standing up here uh, folding that thing. I did it. I tried to do it. I got got not paper cuts. I guess you call them palm cuts. I mean, it's dangerous doing those things. So if you can figure out how to turn it into a cross, good for you. It's just a really neat way of taking that, that palm frond and turning it into something highly, highly uh, symbolic and uh, substantive. Um, have you ever been in a parade? You have. I have nothing to say then. Uh, you, you're way ahead of me. Um, I've been in a few parades, but uh, one parade I was in was, most of them have been not, uh, a couple of them have not been intentional, one was uh, me and two or uh, three friends in a small VW took a personal day from high school. They didn't really call it a personal day from high school when I was in high school. Uh, I think it was truancy or some other kind of a formal term. I don't understand what it means. But we decided to go uh, from Willow Glen, this little suburb in San Jose where we lived, uh, to uh, San Francisco for the day. And um, just, we're just driving down Market Street and in this little bug. And all of a sudden, thousands of people start coming toward us. 
to the point that it was a river of people engulfing. And they were all, you know, so we were like 15 or 16, and these people were college and, and older, and just thousands of them, and they're chanting, and they had signs, and all of a sudden there's these cops on horseback chasing them, and there's explosions going off, and realize we're in the middle of a riot in San Francisco, some anti-war riot. And it was just shocking and entertaining because it was like living 360-degree TV, sitting in this little car, watching it all, thinking it's, it's all happening outside of us, and we're in this little bubble. Another time I was, um, uh, was going to do this sabbatical at Princeton Seminary, and a, buddy, a guy I knew from Newport Beach was there studying, and so we decided to go up and see Ishak Perlman uh, play at, at Carnegie Hall. Couldn't get in, so we decided, well, let's go to John's Pizza and get a pizza. And so we, we go down uh, to Greenwich Village, and we're, we, we're trying to, we get out uh, off the, you know, the cab or whatever we were on, and, and all of a sudden there's like, there were literally 50,000 people. And so we had to get in this parade to go far enough. We couldn't get anywhere, so we just got in the parade and we walked along, and, and then we got to, we saw the pizza, so like you're kind of signaling to get out of the parade, and there's these two burly cops there, and we said, hey, what parade is this? And they told us, and we were mortified. Uh, the parade that we were just in, we're like, oh my gosh, you know. Uh, so it was like two single guys, this giant parade in October in New York City, and we're like, oh, okay. Uh, but that was an interesting experience for sure. Um, when we started, oh, when I was, in, uh, when I was at uh, Fuller Seminary, uh, living in Pasadena, I uh, got up, uh, actually didn't get up, spent the night on the street on Colorado Boulevard to see the Rose Parade. You're, you're, you're crazy if you don't do that once. You're out of your mind if you do it twice. Um, it's a bad idea to spend all night sitting on a sidewalk waiting for a parade. But once it happens, it's stunning. A fantastic parade. I mean, amazing to see it on TV. It's spectacular to see it in person. Wonderful. Uh, <clears throat> when we started this church, uh, one of the first things we did, uh, we, we started the church in the fall, and one of the first things we did was to have a well, we bought a spit. That was the first thing we did was buy a spit so we could feed everybody. But then uh, we, we were in the parade, the Christmas parade in, in, in La Jolla, and we had this f- awesome float. It was just the most wonderful, fun thing, and a uh, great experience doing that. Uh, a, a friend of mine, uh, a family, has been friends of ours for decades, every year they host a parade on their street. Uh, they live over on Scott Street in Point Loma, and they have this parade. And the entire neighborhood pulls out for this thing. And the, the, the fire truck shows up. And I asked him, hey, how do you get the fire truck to show up? He goes, well, I just say, one way or the other, you're going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and so they, they go the easy route. And they say, okay, fine, we'll schedule it in. We'll be there. But the, the, the neat thing about this parade is everybody has to be in it. You can't watch this parade. You have to be in it. Uh, and it's just so fun because they, the whole neighborhood, and now neighborhoods, pile in. So the place is just, again, you're on this street, a little suburban street, packed with people uh, having a great time being the parade. Uh, so most parades are scheduled, most parades are organized. Uh, Palm Sunday was, was not a parade, but it became a parade. And not a parade like we think of, but a, a moment, uh, literally a, a, a defining moment in history happened on the day that we now celebrate Palm Sunday. Because it was built around the greatest feast and occasion in Israel's history. To this day, the greatest thing that they do to worship God together is Passover. And so the idea is that if there's any way you can, you need to make that pilgrimage 
It's a really commandment. If you can, you need to get to Jerusalem for Passover. And so people would come from all over, uh, whose original language, maybe uh, the home language might have been Hebrew or Aramaic, but really they, their, their everyday language was Greek or something else. And they came from all over the place and packed in. So the city on this hill uh, just overflowed with people. Well, it was fascinating, wonderful, except that for the Romans, it was like, oh my gosh, nobody gets a leave, nobody takes the day off. We're all going to be on, on high alert because this, this could go anywhere. And meanwhile, you had every possible striation in the culture with their own agenda for the day. The zealots are looking for what could we do to disrupt this. Uh, different religious groups are looking for how do we make our point known. And so it's a totally rejoicing kind of a thing, but also for the people in the town who know all these elements within Jerusalem, go, oh, this is a, if we can just get through this day. And so here comes Jesus uh, into Jerusalem. And so you, you come from the desert up to, this, up to this through little town, Bethany, and then you drop down in the area that's called the Mount of Olives, and you're going down, down, down to what's called the Kidron Valley, a little tiny creek down there. But then there's, you're going back up to the city. And all these people are quoting Psalms. I think it's Psalm 120 to 135 are called the Psalms of Ascent because uh, Jerusalem is higher than every, every place else. So it's a, psalm of, a song of ascent. So the people are coming in with these, with, they've, picked up, they've picked up branches, they've just done anything they can to have a prop to be celebrating this awesome entrance into Jerusalem. Everybody's making their own awesome entrance into Jerusalem with all the hopes and expectations. Grandparents thinking, this is my last one. I want my grandchild to see this. Parents saying, oh, how, did, how do we do this? You know, who's going to take care of the animals while we're gone? The whole thing was a logistical challenge. And so here they come, all full of expectation, all levels of expectation, some trepidation, <clears throat> tears streaming down their faces as they're singing these psalms. And if you read those psalms, they move you because you realize they're, they're psalms of praise and, and, and anticipation and aspiration. They're aspira aspirational Psalms, you know, oh, if this could only be true of Jerusalem. And so in the midst of this, here's Jesus. All four Gospels give us a description of that occasion. And so really it was just a journey. It was a pilgrimage that became a parade. And in a sense, nobody planned this parade. But Jesus knew what he knew. And he wanted to make a point about how he was entering Jerusalem. And so uh, I'm going to read you a couple excerpts from all four Gospels just to give you a, a sense of the context. Because what we're talking about today is we're, answering, uh, we're asking the question we've been asking all through Lent, why Jesus? What's the point? If you read the newspaper every day, if you, if you consult any media throughout the week, you never hear people talk about Jesus. He's irrelevant. What's the point? What would be the point of invoking the name of Jesus in anything? If somebody had a big issue in Congress and they sit up and said, you know, I've been, I've been thinking about what Jesus did. He'd be laughed or she'd be laughed out of the, hey, please, that's inappropriate here. Though, uh, Jan and I have on a couple of different occasions spent time with a friend who was the chaplain of the U.S. Senate. And, and he had a profound ministry in the halls of Congress, in the Senate specifically. And there's a, there's a, there's an alive movement of God's spirit in Washington, D.C., ministering. But in any public sense, it'd be like, are you kidding me? You wouldn't stand up at the UN and say, you know, the thing is we're talking about, I keep thinking about what Jesus said about, it'd be like, what? You know, cut off his mic. And so literally a flexion point in history is happening at the point that Jesus comes 
into town. And so Matthew tells us, uh, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? It's a great question, isn't it? Who is this? We're asking why Jesus. They're asking the question before that. Who is it? Why all these people getting so excited about this person entering the city? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. As we're answering this question, why Jesus, we're going to discover that Jesus is the Messiah, who is also a prophet, a priest, and a king. And so here they're referring to him as the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. That's way north in Israel. Mark tells us Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. Wow. Why would he go into the temple courts? I mean, they don't tell us. We know the next day he came back to the temple courts and disrupted what was going on there. Turned over tables and accused the people of turning the house of God into a marketplace. Um, My hunch is that he went to the temple because he's the true high priest. And as we know, the temple is where heaven touches earth. And the way the temple was constructed and, and decorated was to invoke the idea that this is as close as we can get to the Garden of Eden and to heaven. Highly symbolic, substantive in terms of what happened for the people there. And Jesus goes right to the temple. He came in late enough in the day that he only had time to do one thing. He went to the temple and he left to go back to Bethany. Luke then tells us when Jesus came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they'd seen. Now a lot of these folks who who were coming from other places had either seen Jesus or knew about Jesus. The people in Jerusalem had had encounters with Jesus over several years. And so there's this whole buzz about He's done these things that nobody can explain. And yet he's not doing it in a way that other people who are religious charlatans uh, have been using to accrue attention and power and, and, and defraud people of their money or whatever. He's a category of one. And so they're praising him. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, the language in this, if you can imagine people in Hebrew, you know in every Hebrew worship service or or celebration occasion, uh, there's a formula that is invoked that's similar to this. It's Baruch Atah Adonai, uh, blessed be uh, the Lord, Melech HaOlam, king of the world, king of the universe. Baruch Atah Adonai, Melech HaOlam. And then from there on, there's other things added. If you're blessing the wine at at the Passover, it's Bori Prihagafen. Or if you're breasting the bread, it has another. So there's all these little uh, connectors to whatever the occasion is. But that, that, that stock opening is Baruch Adonai. If you say this to a person who, who is active in, in their faith as a Jew, you say Baruch Adonai, oh, they'll, they'll complete it for you. It's like at, at Easter. Anybody you know who's Greek and has a connection to a family that's Greek, if you say Christos Anesti, they'll go, ah, oh, Lithos Anesti. It's that sort of a thing. And so here they're invoking this language, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are hearing this. And it's a little bit too close for comfort. It's not, hey, great guy, welcome to Jerusalem. It's, blessed is he. Oh my gosh, they're invoking the name that we give to God in worship. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. This is completely inappropriate. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. What do you think, if you can imagine, you know, thinking anthropomorphically, if the stones could cry out, what would they cry out? They've seen a lot of feet coming in and out of Jerusalem. 
uh, I'm guessing if the stones could cry out, they'd first of all say, help. Uh, we need you. Finally, you're our only hope. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, Jesus wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Does that sound like our culture? I said a few moments ago that Jesus is never invoked. And if he is invoked, it's usually by somebody who's invoking his name inappropriately. Some well-intentioned peop- person who's a follower of Jesus who is mugging a culture in the name of Jesus. And so when they speak up, all of us are kind of going, ah, oh, could you be a bit more, not self-editing, but could you be a bit more appropriate and, in a sense, earning the right to be heard in this situation? This is why I just, I said earlier, there's a whole movement of God's Spirit in Washington, D.C., authentically making relationships with people that are credible because they've earned the right to be heard. But in this case, lots of people are telling lots of religious things, and yet he says, it's hidden from you. You don't understand what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And the days will come upon you when your enemies build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This happened 40 years later approximately in AD 70. The Romans leveled Jerusalem. They came back in 135 and they not only leveled it, they decimated it. There was nothing to tell you that this had been the city. And in fact, at that point, in 135, they said, no Jew can ever come back to Jerusalem. And they relented slightly and said, okay, one day a year you can come back to Jerusalem. That's it. <clears throat> John tells us the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Do you have a palm branch? You want to wave it? And you would be, you in that crowd, you'd be saying, you can say it, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? It, it feels a little silly to do it in our culture. But I mean, I would, I would go with this. Just walk down Prospect in La Jolla today. And <laughs> it doesn't quite work in our culture, but it worked really well in their culture. I tell you what works in our culture. You go to any sporting event and people will, doing the, will be doing the equivalent. Grown men turning to grown men they've never met, weeping and falling into each other's arms, hugging uh, because some crazy thing had just happened. Uh, so it's, our, it's, it's wired into us to do that. And in this case, they were simply expressing their own humanity, and they were doing what the stones would do if they didn't, right? Blessed is the king of Israel, and so we see that Jesus is a prophet, he's a priest, and now he's, he's a king. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Uh, the, the idea was that this is a fairly obscure passage that the people weren't thinking about because the people expected the Messiah to show up on a, with an army, on a charger, not a donkey. But this was a passage that was all there all along talking about who the Messiah would be. And so he's saying, look, I'm coming in peace. You don't have to be afraid of me. This is not a tank crashing across your border coming to rape and pillage and destroy I'm the one who wept over the city. I'm not causing you to weep over the city. Don't be afraid. And then only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him. And it was later. Why didn't we ever see this in the Scripture before? Well, because you weren't looking for it. You had a culturally imposed, superimposed point of view. 
uh, the American church has a culturally superimposed point of view about what it means to follow Jesus. And we accommodate it to all kinds of things, uh, subcultures within our culture. Christians don't do these things or they do these things. Uh, slices of the culture that say, hey, that used to be the way, but now we do our own thing. We still call it Christian. We have all kinds of versions of this. Um, and we don't understand what the Word of God says, what it, what it looks like to be a person who simply walks with Jesus, who has full access to the culture, but comes in the name of the Lord in ways that the culture says, wow, this is interesting. I hadn't really heard this. I hadn't seen this. And so many people, because they had heard that he had performed a sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. A bit, of, a bit hyperbolic. The whole world, well, people in Jerusalem felt like this is the center of the whole world. You've seen all those crazy maps. It'll have some city somewhere and it'll say this is the center of the universe, right? That's how they felt about Jerusalem. So we see that Jesus is the prophetic Messiah, the priestly Messiah, the kingly Messiah. A prophet is a messenger, a priest is a minister, and a king obviously is a monarch. Maybe that will help you sort it out. A prophet is a messenger. Sometimes it's telling you what's happening right now. Sometimes it's saying, and if you don't understand what's happening now, you'll, you won't be ready for what's coming. Uh, the, the, the priest is a minister and a mediator, representing the people to God and God to the people. Uh, the monarch is meant to be the ultimate servant leader of the people, and that's not how it usually works. And so this is what unfolds on the day we call Palm Sunday. I want to touch, uh, I won't say briefly, but kind of briefly-ish, on these three elements, uh, prophet, priest, and king. So I'm going to be reading you a lot of scripture, bear with me, but I, I feel like if, if I don't give you this proper context, where are you going to get it? Unless you've been completely immersed in this during Lent, I, I, with all due respect, I would say that most people don't read the Bible enough to really understand why these events happen. If you're not one of those people, God bless you. But most of us need to be reminded uh, of what the context is. So I'm going to give you some context on this idea of Jesus being a prophetic Messiah, a priestly Messiah, and a kingly Messiah. So here we are in Luke 13 at the time. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Now, we don't know if, if they were just saying, yeah, oh yeah, Herod wants to kill you, you should leave. Or they're really concerned because lots of the Pharisees became followers of Jesus after the resurrection. And they were warning him, hey, this is, we know, we're powerful, we're connected. Uh, it's, it's, they're looking for a way to kill you. You better leave. <clears throat> Misunderstanding Jesus' mission, just like Peter did. Whoa, whoa, go to Jerusalem? Uh, I don't think so. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. That's my mission. And so Jesus says, go tell that fox, I'll keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I'll reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. We are a little bit uncomfortable calling Jesus a prophet. The Muslims call Jesus the prophet, but Muhammad's the greatest prophet. Uh, we're, we're uncomfortable talking about Jesus the teacher. Well, he's more than a teacher. Yeah, he's more than all these things that we talk about. But he is that as well. He is a teacher. He is a prophet. And he identifies now as one. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, on the road to, this is, this is later after, after the resurrection, 
the day of, that they find out, a, a guy named Cleopas, maybe it's his wife or somebody else, decides to go to this other town, Emmaus, and they're walking, and they're completely bummed out about what has happened. They think that Jesus had been killed, and that's it. And so Jesus comes alongside them, and they don't recognize him, and he, and he asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? Where have you been? Are you not aware? What things? <laughs> Jesus asked. Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. Powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. Well, that is a given. <laughs> if you just pause for a moment and recognize that even in this moment, there's some obvious sanity going on here. Yes, these women are amazing, as we are in the presence of amazing women today, right? And this is not gratuitous. I mean that. Often it's godly women who are saying, hello, uh, we expect you guys to be leading and participating in, in being partners in this enterprise. And oftentimes guys want to step back and say, I don't know, it might, might be risky. It might be inconvenient. Uh, well, I guarantee you, it will be risky. It will be inconvenient. Being a husband, being a father, being anything that God wants us all to be as men and women. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. Now, Cleopas is obviously part of this extended group of disciples. Not the inner core, but part of it because he's, he's, he's savvy to all that's going on. And Jesus said to them, how foolish you are. That's kind of a little bit of a turn of the tables when they said, hey, where have you been? And Jesus is saying to them, where have you been? Uh, this word foolish, it means uh, you, you're not aware. You don't know what is in God's word. It's, it's this Greek word noose, noetic. Uh, it's about knowing stuff, but not just knowing stuff as fact, knowing stuff and wisely knowing what to do with them. Now, there's a place in the Bible of Matthew 5.22 where Jesus says, never call somebody a fool because you'll go to hell. Don't ever say raka to somebody. Well, raka is a different word than this word. So different, same word, foolish, different word. Raka says you have no worth as a human being. This word, foolish, says you're not aware of what God's doing. You think I wasn't aware of what's been happening in Jerusalem. You're not aware of what's God doing based on what you just told me. You haven't been paying attention. And he can say this because this guy's been one of the disciples who've been showing up at the Sermon on the Mount and all these other occasions. And the guy's going, yeah, we didn't know what was going to happen. How could you not know what was going to happen? I've been telling you. And he says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory and beginning with Moses and all the priests and the, I mean all the prophets, he explained to them what was said and all the scriptures concerning him. So we've established he's a prophet. We're going to talk about a priest in a second, but let me just re review for you. Uh, all the faithful prophets we see in Scripture served God in similar ways. They spoke God's word, instructing people and calling them from sin and idolatry. Calling people from sin and idolatry. Idolatry, serving false gods. Sin, doing your own thing in ways that are counter um, to what God is saying. This is what will make you alive. They warned people of impending and, and future consequences in dis disobeying God. And 
through these people called prophets, God did mighty acts, miracles, signs, wonders, but often through their suffering and sacrifice. And so here's the thing. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to be prophets. Maybe small p, right? We all have a prophetic ministry, speaking forth what is true in the most appropriate way possible, appropriate to the occasion, in ways that are redemptive and not inherently repulsive. We see this uh, again following the resurrection uh, on what we call Pentecost. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all uh, who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Based on, hey, this is what you're seeing, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. You have a prophetic role. You have a prophetic ministry. Every parent is a prophet to their children. This is right, and that's wrong. This is why we do this. That's why we don't do that. They're always giving a context for the content that they're giving their children. A prophetic role is not a boss role. You're not the boss of me. It's not a control role. It's simply being as, as, with as high, as high a, an element of EQ as possible. You're saying, this is what the Lord is telling us. And so like Jesus, we too proclaim, teach, and demonstrate the kingdom of God prophetically if we're alive in Him and walking with Him. In him, we have a better story. We have a, a vision of a better world. Uh, we have a dream of a better dream of what it can be. Not dream as an imaginary, imaginary, invisible friend kind of a dream, but a dream of this is where it's going. An understanding. We don't tell tall tales. We don't have big titles. We simply do what the prophets did. We serve God faithfully. We're students of his word. We endeavor to honor God and bless people in his name. We live with confident hope that God is at work in us and through us, even when things are bad, going to worse. And we are discerning participants in our culture and citizens of God's kingdom. So that's the prophetic part of, of who Jesus is and who we are in Christ. Let me go on to the priestly part. So Jesus is a prophetic Messiah. He's also a priestly Messiah. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says, the law is just a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves. The Ten Commandments are really important. We just can't do a very good job of keeping them. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. This was the state of Israel. <clears throat> they did what was right, but, but they could see this is not enough. And God is saying it can't be enough. And so, the writer says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, and, he, and he's quoting Hosea 6, 6, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Hineni, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my, my God. And, and the writer goes on to say, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. 
For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Not pretentious spiritual know-it-alls and show-offs, but holy. Discovering the sacred nature of our true identity as people created in God's image. Beloved sons and daughters in Christ. When you think of the word holy, stop thinking about somebody who is a hypocrite and start thinking about somebody who understands their true identity. I know I look like a mess, but I'm actually a beloved child of God. I might be lying in the gutter, but I'm looking at the stars, right? And he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I'll put my laws into their hearts, and I'll write them on their minds. And he goes on and on and on. Jesus is the high priest. And, and, and because he is our high priest, we have a new God-given identity. We see this in Ephesians chapter 2. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It's not just, I got a new, bunch of new information. No, I have information, but I have also received the Holy Spirit. I'm trying to understand what that means to respond to the Holy Spirit. Peter says it this way, you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this, into his wonderful light. This is the priestly function, the ministering and mediating function of Jesus, the Messiah. And then we see that he's a king. He's a prophet, he's a priest, and he's a king. The Christmas passage we all are familiar with from Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government should be on his shoulders. He's the ultimate authority. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. He's the smartest guy to ask about anything. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. <clears throat> He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so we see that Jesus' birth and life and death, his resurrection, his ascension from the dead, fulfills this. He is the prophet. He is the priest. He is the king. The wise men weren't worshiping a baby our culture has so trivialized Christmas. We worship a baby. Ah, oh, so cute, adorable. No, 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 no. It, it, it's a baby. But we're worshiping a newborn king. We're worshiping a king. We're welcoming a king. We're not infantilizing our faith around a baby, a perpetual baby. Uh, that's why so many of the depictions historically of Jesus are people I would not want to hang with that guy. He looks too delicate, too disconnected. Messiah Jesus, the suffering servant, the prophet, the priest, the king, came to save his people. He did whatever it would take. A man's man, but not a, you know, a caricature of a macho man. He was just a fully alive man. It's why we see Jesus battling the serpent, the serpent throughout his earthly ministry. It's why Jesus wept over Lazarus, his best friend. It was Lazarus, his best friend. It's why he wept over Jerusalem. It's why he was also weeping for you when he was weeping over Jerusalem. You were included in that. 
It's why Jesus was mocked by Roman soldiers with a robe and a crown of thorns. You're a king, wow, check it out. It's why Pontius Pilate asks Jesus if he is the king of the Jews. It's why his cross is marked by a plaque reading, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. The Jewish leaders went to uh, Herod and said, hey, hey, you can't do that. It's not, he's not the king of the Jews. And, and what did Herod say? It is what it is. There's the door. Jesus, the king of the Jews, ironically on his cross posted, this is Jesus, the king. And so Jesus is creating a community of people who continue doing what he did, prophetically, priestly, as, as someone with authority. God is developing us into people who think like he thinks and love and live like he loves and lives and thinks. A kingdom is no better than its king and its people. Would you agree? A kingdom is no better than its king or its kingdom and its people. You can say, we're the greatest nation on earth. If I don't respect the leader and I don't respect the people, it's a mock. It's a mock of what it means to be a kingdom. It's a farce. It's a tragedy. There's no life there. It's a death star, a dark star. It sucks in life and destroys those who come close to it. This world needs people whose identity is rooted in God's kingdom. Are you one of those people? It's more than cultural identity. It's kingdom identity. Culture is always one step from idolatry. If culture is the end point, then it's idolatrous. My culture will meet all my needs. It answers all the questions I need to ask. It gives me everything I need to know. Culture is simply a conduit for people to express all kinds of interesting things. Culture is significant. We can't live without culture. Wherever people gather together and start doing stuff, that becomes culture. But culture itself can be idolatrous. You know, Russian people are being abused in Ukraine right now. That's BS. Russian people live in Ukraine. Ukrainians speak Russian. The culture isn't descriptive or definitive enough. That's why only God can tell us who we really are. He's the one who can describe us. You're sinners, but you have a Savior. You're lost, ah, but you're found. You're going to die, ah, but yet you will live. Yeah, but I feel this. Ah, I'm sorry you feel that way because you are a beloved child of God. You know that, right? So it's more than cultural identity. It's kingdom identity. It's his life at work in ours. And so God's kingdom is our GPS in this world, our God positioning system. Only he can show us the proper coordinates to understand who we are and where we are. Ah, oh, my life's a mess. Oh, I wish you could see the camera pull back and, and, and see your life from God's perspective. Today it's a mess. Right now it might be a mess. A, f a physicist and a mathematician were driving through Ireland. And the mathematician said, wow, look at all those cows. All, all cows um, in Ireland are uh, brown. And the physicist said, on one side. <laughs> there might be another side to this. The kingdom is our highest priority and our truest allegiance. It's our GPS. 
If you understand where you are in Christ, your culture is blessed immensely. You are a gift to your culture if you are alive in Christ. You do the job that might be mundane and unnoticed by most people. You do it as a mission from God. Changing diapers, taking care of little kids, fixing things, creating things, inventing things, administrating things, teaching things. All of a sudden it becomes holy and sacred. Whatever you turn your hand to becomes holy and sacred. Why? Because you are. You're doing the name of the Lord who is the prophet, the priest, and the king, the Messiah. You see the power of this? You see how this right-sizes? Yeah, but I thought I'd be doing this. I thought I'd be here. I'm not. Okay. Are you not aware? Oh, you foolish person. You're, you're on the road to Emmaus when you're in that moment. This is who you really are, is what Jesus wants to say to us. That's why we continue to pray the prayer, King Jesus, God, his disciples. I've invited you to pray that prayer with me right now. You can read it if you want. If you know it, great. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so, Lord, this is our prayer. And so we answer this question, why Christ, by saying thank you, Lord, for being our Christ, our Messiah. I thank you for being a faithful prophet, priest, and king. Thank you for coming into this world, weeping over it, and continuing forward to fulfill your mission that we might be redeemed and renewed and reconciled to you, coming into our right heart, our right mind, understanding the beauty of this world and the life that we live in it. And Lord, we thank you for the future hope that you give us that we get to experience and and appropriate right now. For that, we give you honor and glory and praise in Jesus' high and holy name. Amen. Let's continue worshiping the Lord. This is an offering time. Uh, If you're used to hearing that as a time to give money, uh, it's, it's, it's more than that. We're not asking you to give money right now. We're asking you to give you right now to the Lord. If you want to give money, you can put it in that little offering box and you walk out or you can do whatever you, you send something or however you want to give. But right now, this offering is about you saying, Lord, I'm offering me to you. Let's do that as we worship him together. You are the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation, now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is, nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is, the name of You didn't want heaven without 
Oh, man. Wow. Well, uh, I'm going to give a benediction. And if you would like prayer for anything, uh, walk out around the corner to a beautiful garden. It's a prayer garden. Uh, and uh, you can have somebody pray for you. You don't have to tell them what you need prayer for, or you can. Uh, just show up, and they'll say, I'll pray for you. And um, then join us. We're having a big party because it's a celebration weekend. Jesus is coming into town. And so we're capturing that moment of jubilation and, and, and joy and uh, celebration. And we're going to have a big brunch out there. We won't be doing our normal thing called conversations where we, we meet afterwards and we have a bunch of conversations about important stuff. We're going to have a big party. But if you're sitting around that table, there'll be some fun questions. If you want to get to know people at that table a little bit better, we have some fun questions to ask just to say, hey, tell us a little bit about you. We won't put you on the spot. Just a fun way to break the ice and, and learn about each other. This week... Um, Monday, Thursday. Uh, we're not going to have a service Monday, Thursday, but we're going to send you an article about Monday, Thursday with some questions. And if you're with some people at dinner, you can say, hey, they had a conversation at dinner about the love of Christ. Let's, here's some questions, a couple questions. Fun. Friday, uh, we'll gather here at uh, uh, 6.30 for uh, a Good Friday service. Uh, powerful, powerful, powerful service. Kids can come. Any, anybody can come. Uh, it's, it's a candlelit service. It's uh, more contemplative, um, but it will help you get ready to celebrate Easter. And then join us uh, Easter Sunday. We'll have several venues on the campus uh, to worship him on Easter Sunday. So that's where we're going in Holy Week. And I hope you do everything possible to capture um, the beauty and the power and the meaning of Holy Week. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord, who loves you more than you can ask or imagine, give you everything you need to come to know him today, perhaps for the first time, by accepting him into your life, into your heart, yielding your life to him in faith. And as you walk with him, both now and forevermore, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.